0: Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series Elevate, gathering the voices of medical affairs thought leaders and stakeholders to explore current trends, define best practices, and empower the medical affairs function. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we'll be speaking with Jessica Ingram, Managing Director of Learning and Development at Open Health, and two of her team, Bryony Frost learning design and development specialist, and Ben Halford, account manager. Open Health is a global full-service medical communications agency offering medical affairs consultancy and content, publications, medical education, and internal training. Joining Jess, Bryony, and Ben is Dirk Serens, a scientific knowledge manager from Janssen, offering insights into how to engage, motivate, And support staff with internal training. Jess, Ben, Bryony, Dirk, welcome and uh, Jess I'll hand it over to you.
1: Thanks very much Garth. So last time we were here we talked about the crucial role internal training plays in the much larger process of improving patient outcomes and then we focused on how we can design and deliver um, learning that positions the patient as the ultimate priority and maximise the effectiveness of internal training in contributing to that overall goal. We're back again today because there are a number of vital factors involved. A highly topical one, given that we're all living and working during a pandemic with recurring global lockdowns, pushing us more and more into the virtual realm of homeworking, congresses, conferences, and of course training, is engagement. After all, training is only as good as the engagement of learners with it. So the question we want to kick off with today is how do we ensure people undertake internal training programs that are provided? How can we best design them to ensure engagement and motivation? So Dirk, can I ask you to come in there?
2: Yeah, so what we have seen over the years of uh, conducting uh, trainings in different uh, formats is that when new colleagues in fact come on board, there is always a lot of eagerness uh, from their part to jump right into the content matter. However, the appropriate structure of this learning part or what we call a journey is crucial in the actual learning outcomes you want to in fact achieve. So even more since most of the colleagues we train daily at Janssen are facing uh, HCPs in their role, they also need to understand the main proponent in their story and that's in fact the patient. So looking at the current setup of training, aligning the journey of a colleague learning uh, the topics in fact and the actual journey of a patient, would go through the diagnosis of the disease to treatment selection that really does aid in engaging the learner into the journey. And because one important point is really to stress that when the HCP selects the treatment for the patient, this is most often also personalized towards this patient in some form or the other. So this is due to the fact that not every patient in fact is alike and the HCP needs to really consider multiple factors in the sometimes mutual treatment decision. Now similarly you can look at the learning experience and that has to become more and more personalized as well and this can be based on, on testing before, during the training and even in fact throughout the trainings. And moreover In addition to just building this knowledge on the content for the learner, increasing also the confidence in that knowledge, in fact, does add enormous value
3: for the learner as well. Yeah, and just to come in here to add what uh, Dirk has said there, there's certainly parallels between the patient journey um, and the process that learners go through it's always important for us to bear in mind that in the same way a patient might be engaged and motivated um, by the direct impact their conditions having on them a learner will likewise be motivated by um, highly individual goals so most people who go into healthcare as we know are kind of often driven in part by wanting to help to improve the experience and outcomes of patients but every individual will have other more personal motivations And as trainers, we can't know and respond to every single one of these, of course. But what we can do is make sure that we set up our training so that our learners always know what's in it for them.
4: You're absolutely right Ben and I think one of the most powerful resources we have when designing training programs is the learners themselves. I touched on this uh, in our last podcast with the importance of undertaking a learner needs analysis and that actually it's more than just identifying the gaps in the training that the the, uh, in terms of the needs that should be addressed. It's also about recognizing learners as a key stakeholder in their own learning, getting them involved in the design of their own training we need our learners to be able to identify for themselves what they need to know why they need to know it and how it will help them achieve their goals and a needs analysis gets us started with that process long before the actual training begins it gives learners a sense of investment and agency in their training so they start off already motivated to learn and then it's up to us to keep that ball rolling through the rest of the design and delivery process
2: yes indeed and and when you develop the training uh, you always have the the endpoints inside and for each of the steps in between the starting point towards the end point you really need to uh, set up what is exactly the learning outcome or even the learning objective you want the learner to reach and to be able to take then the next step in that learning journey. And as such, with uh, every learning uh, or learner being different, this learning journey really needs to take these differences into account. So uh, for example, uh, someone coming in brand new into the role, would most likely need to start at the first level to get to a basic uh, level of knowledge and also to have the required confidence level in that knowledge however there might be others that join the team and would not need to start at the basic uh, entry level so to say but could immediately start at a level higher or even a couple of levels higher so Therefore the need to check this uh, knowledge at the baseline level before departing really on a learning journey that is personalized is really critical for the success and also to have the highest possible engagement of the learner.
1: I completely agree Dirk and I think We all know that um, there's a real move towards bite-size training content and it makes complete sense but I think some of the danger there is that it can then feel very difficult to to work out what the journey is and, and know that the individual pieces of content really connect and help move you on that journey. So I think as we're designing programs it's so important that we get the signposting right and really help show people that there isn't one specific path they have to follow but here's some suggestions and different options that might work for them so that they can really see how the individual pieces of content will will help them move through that journey and i think we also need to make sure that everything they're doing is is really relevant to their real life role um, and making sure it comes back to the conversations that they'll be having with with healthcare professionals if they're an msl or whatever else is that we're, we're clearly defining as their learning outcomes So having talked a little bit about design, I guess my question is, is that where we really have to focus all of our attention or are there other tools and techniques that we can use in this area?
4: Oh, no, absolutely. Delivery is is really important too. Um, we need to make sure we're thinking about engagement right from the design phase because a little bit like uh, learners tend to jump in and get distracted by the content, it's really easy for us as training providers to get excited about all the innovative tools and techniques available for delivery and then just plunge in and go, I want to use this because it's because it's awesome. Um, and unfortunately, that, that sort of approach tends not to be very coherent or effective. But if you can combine designing for engagement engagement with relevant well thought through selected and positioned engaging delivery tools and you get a heck of a lot more bang for your buck than you would have if you just used one or the other. Dirk and uh, Ben do you want to chip in with some of your favorite examples here?
2: Ah sure because yeah I I could give a lot of examples but I will give only two and in fact two of my favorite ones in this uh, I would call it a new normal virtual environment and, and first of all uh, there was always a need to gather people around the learning experience in a in a larger group. Uh, it was face to face. Now it's uh, at this moment in time more virtual. And one application that really started to work for face to face events is the guidebook application. Now this allows us as organizers of those uh, educational or training events to really gather all participants or attendees around one platform, and it addition also enables us to engage with that content and also each other to prepare and come in advance to that face-to-face meeting but also after the meeting itself you can go back and see what happened, and maybe even uh, chip in to one of those content pieces now it gives also the learner a landing platform or really a backbone from where the actual learning would start and would also maybe continue onto different other platforms or even sessions either face-to-face or virtual. Uh, Another example that has really been uh, taken up well by learners in a virtual environment is the combination of uh, a couple of platforms and at Janssen we have been piloting Zoom and the Mural platforms combined. And we all know Zoom as the way we interact now virtually with each other. However, the main question uh, did arise on how really can we mimic in the best possible engaging way, those face-to-face breakout sessions around learning on the knowledge, but also engaging with other learners around uh, that uh, content. Now. One of the platforms we have so um, identified to clearly mimic that with small learning groups in a virtual setting is by using the Zoom breakout functionality together with the Mural platform. Now, some of you might say Mural is a little bit of a whiteboard. However, it is much more than a simple whiteboard application because it has endless possibilities to develop specific sessions or exercises around the content and to get into a very engaging discussion with a very small learning group.
3: Yeah, and just to expand on what Dirk's spoken about there, there's a range of techniques that we um, like to use to increase engagement in our training activities, whether that be virtually or face-to-face. I think um, Becky spoke uh, last time in the previous podcast about embedding patient or HCP videos and this obviously makes the patient experience uh, come to life and reinforces that goal of um, improving patient outcomes. Also a multimodal approach can really help learners stay engaged with the content because it appeals to so many different learning styles and helps to break things up so it's constantly re-engaging the attention and providing that much needed reinforcement. People will always remember information better if they're going to encounter it um, in multiple mediums. Addition, additionally to that, Um, getting learners to um, actively engage in things uh, can really really help for example in live sessions we do temperature checks because you can adapt content or go back over information if people need reinforcement or further explanation and it's really that um, formative feedback that keeps learners engaged because they have to think about um, where they are in terms of their understanding similarly um, polling activities are a great option for keeping people focused as they provide instant feedback um, for peers and their trainers as well. It's also important to mention here that these things can be successfully adapted for the virtual realm as Dirk spoke about too. Um, For example, digital polls with visible results and pop-up feedback and those temperature checks that signpost learners onto the next piece of content or even go back to previous sections if they're um, onshore or on anything. And finally, Dirk obviously mentioned Guy and Mural there. So just to bring up another one of our favourites um, in competition and gamification, which really do uh, add a new dimension to learner engagement. It's obviously kind of important to keep it at a fun and healthy level, but framing learning tasks with a competitive backdrop can be really, really positive for knowledge retention, as well as building that uh, learner confidence that we spoke about. For example, like at a live event, you could split participants into teams and run a quiz on the previous plenary session using an interactive app. Or perhaps you could even design a topic specific board game which gives tables the opportunity to interact and learn together as they play. Or even um, thinking from a more virtual standpoint, you could run a monthly competition based on your um, digital micro platform with users teamed up by uh, various regions. So there's really a huge amount of possibilities um, kind of on offer and they all work because people really do like to win.
4: Yes, they do. I think these are all brilliant examples of how to do engagement really well in the delivery phase of training. And as I mentioned before, what makes them work best is when they're joined up throughout the training. If you can make sure you embed logical connections between each of your engagement activities and ideally have activity types that repeat often enough to be familiar, then you really do boost learner confidence in engaging that way. What you don't want to do is throw in loads and loads and loads of different engagement activity types because the unfamiliarity of the task in addition to potentially new content and refined skills can be off-putting by itself. You don't want people to get sick of an activity but you do want them to be comfortable enough to use it so looking for opportunities for people to essentially practice um, and then increasingly master types of activities as well as content um, and skills is really important when you're thinking about how to have the most impact in your uh, engagement activity space.
1: Thanks guys I think that's really great as kind of exploring some of the theory behind it and then also some really practical examples of and tips of things we can do. Um, in the interest of time I think it would be great if we can um, move on and, and say what other considerations are there um, for helping us keep our teams engaged and motivated throughout this process?
3: Yeah, thanks, Jess. I was going to touch on digital platforms, actually, a little, as it's very important to use one which is easy to use and also motivates engagement. It's uh, really easy to have a platform which is just a kind of repository for loads of content. But if it doesn't present and deliver that content intuitively to learners, it's never really going to have a meaningful impact to them. Uh, the formats needs to be varied to cater to different learning styles and knowledge tests need to be structured so that they're meeting genuine learning objectives and enhancing the confidence, not just you know, testing people for the sake of it. We've mentioned it before, but instant feedback from tests is really important, too, as it gives learners the opportunity to rectify any mistakes at, at the time they're doing the training, which will improve their outcomes as well. We also spoke about engagement a little bit and the platform that helps to keep learners on the ball with um, push notifications, particularly to their mobile devices, is very simple but is also very effective. We all lead um, busy lives and sometimes training will understandably take a back seat, uh, but after a hectic Monday, a push notification from a learning platform the next morning can act as that useful reminder to ensure that your training stays front of mind and does remain a priority for the week.
2: Uh, yes, indeed, and from my experience, uh, certainly throughout uh, 2020, now it's a, it has become really clear that. Uh, instead of really putting as a subject matter expert the content knowledge and the confidence at the heart of the learning experience, we might need to move really from, I would say, that at the heart into a more personalized education and put the learner, in fact, at the center of the the whole experience. And by the multiple techniques, as uh, nicely discussed today, and also all the platforms, you can really start making a difference and also be able to more appropriately engage your audience for the education and it will reach I would say a lot of learning objectives.
4: Yeah definitely I think one other crucial thing to mention here is that when you're providing training you need to think as well about supporting staff mental health. There's a, a broader landscape here around workplace well-being but in terms of training there are some specific things that can be done. Uh, The onus here is to a degree on the leadership teams to make sure that staff have time to train and that they're able to create space in their schedules to do it in a realistic time frame and without having to add on potentially unpaid hours. It's about communicating with learners and giving them that chance to get involved in the needs analysis, yes, but it's also about messaging around training, what needs to be done, by whom, by when and being invested in individual team members' goals through things like personal development reviews and meetings and one-to-ones. And thinking about how training fits in with that, being clear about how each piece of training contributes to the overall strategic picture of the company and how each person can participate in making that a reality. It's also about making training accessible to staff. In the UK, employers are bound by the 2010 Equality Act to make sure that all staff can engage equally with training materials. And that means things like making sure that materials are available in alternative formats. For example, things like if you're going to have a video, make sure you've got captions and transcripts and that they're usable for people who are relying on assistive technologies. And also things like recognising when people might need what we call reasonable adjustments, for instance, more time to undertake a task or additional technology technologies, even something as simple as providing a decent headset to ensure that any audio is clear. It's all these little things that facilitate people's access to the training and making sure that they've actually got the opportunity to engage because we don't want these barriers to crop up um, to prevent people from engaging with the training when, when they want to. It's the quickest thing that will switch them off. I think the other thing is that it's really important not to underestimate how vital it is to provide access to help and support during training. Who should your learners go to if they encounter a technical problem? Who do they ask if they have any questions about what they should be doing and how? Where do they get more information? And setting up within within your company things like mentorship schemes and buddy systems and clear points of contact go a long way to facilitate what's known as positive help seeking behaviour. Knowing who and how to ask for help means you're much less likely to have learners get frustrated and disengage because they're too tired or too confused or too overwhelmed to resolve a training challenge. You'll never be able to completely design these things out because all learners are individual and all circumstances are individual. And even if you could, computers have a bit of a mind of their own and tend to decide to just turn themselves off on the day. So you need to be clear about what learners do when they encounter a problem so they can quickly see how to solve it. And then they're much more likely to see the training through and stay engaged with it after an incident.
1: Great, thank you everyone. So I think we've covered a lot there and and my real takeaway message from that I think is is when we take all of those things together that really allows us to create positive learning environments where learning can be self-directed which really improves the learner experience and therefore their engagement and motivation and certainly as training providers the the onus is definitely on us to to seek feedback and to really build that feedback into the training program so that we can continue to improve them Um, as we as we move forward and actually that really nicely links on to um, our next podcast which will be the final one in this mini series where we'll be exploring the impact um, of how we measure uh, internal training and how we then use that uh, information to to improve design moving forward so that's it for today back to you Garth
0: Well, my feedback is that uh, that was fascinating to listen to. And so thanks, Dirk, Jess, Ben, and Bryony for joining us today. To learn more about how your organization can partner with Open Health to drive positive change in healthcare communications and market access, visit openhealthgroup.com. MAPS members, continue the conversation at our community portal, and don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.